Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined, as always, by a resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, minus a uh, not the uh, best haircut, beard cut going on at the moment. Yeah, that's that's worse uh, than all the moving stuff is uh, finding a new hair person. So the that's that's the thing that I dislike the most about moving, and and part of it is uh, back in my I guess original home, Tyler, where I was born and where I grew up. Uh, I found the the best, still to this day, the best barber I've ever found. Yeah. Uh, so everything seems like settling when I'm not in Tyler. And I've found some good barbers, but they're just like one step below. And so it's never quite, quite the same. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. I, I recently went, so I, I, I did the, uh, my barbers not available, go to great clips last, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, never do that. It, well, but it turned out okay. But here's, here's the problem is. I know that if I go back, even if it's the same person, it's going to get messed up. There's just no way. It, the success is not sustainable. I'm sure there's a theological reasoning behind this, but my advice to anyone listening is never never go to a great clips or a sports clips. or a, Just don't do it. Unless you're getting a buzz yeah. cut. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would cut I, it all. Yeah. But if you're doing a buzz cut, just do it at home. Yeah, you can do that uh, on your own. Just go buy. Uh, so I will say, I was at a uh, minister's lunch yesterday, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I I get a lot of straight razor work done on my hair and on my beard and stuff like that, which gets pretty expensive because sure. that takes quite a bit of time to to do. Uh, so you know, I pay like seventy five bucks to get my hair and beard done but i'm also there for you know uh hour and a half plus getting all of it uh but we were talking about that and how difficult it is to find a new guy and stuff like that at the minister's lunch yesterday and uh i i almost gave a heart attack to one of the old guys when i told him how much i pay to have my <laughs> uh hair done uh i mean i i thought we were gonna have to call an ambulance after Look, i might this may also be theological somewhere from me, but uh, never go to Great Clips, never spend $75 on a haircut. I think you and I represent the extremes of haircut culture. We need somebody that's more middle of the road, uh, haircut theology to come on the podcast. See, but I, I, <laughs> I do get a lot done, at least. I mean, I've got... Like while you're sitting there and stuff? I get I, I I no no I'm ta- I'm talking about I have my barber do a lot with hair and beard oh. and all that kind okay, of stuff. So I feel like I get my money's worth. You, you don't have to get as much done as I do, but yeah, I do yeah. feel like I get my money's worth. Well, I didn't this last time. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's one thing but, for sure. About a, ha- a haircut, regardless of, of where it is, um, it makes you feel like uh, like new, like new uh, 
creation on your head. That's as good as I had for that uh, segue. It's a terrible. That was terrible, that was the great clip. Anyways, of segues. that was the great clips of segues. There we go. My apologies. That's, there we go. That's, that's a little better. Uh, we finished up our uh, last episode talking about new creation in Peter, Second uh, Peter three specifically, and looking at that as kind of a. Uh, nexus point. I want to say that that was the correct word to use before all of the Doctor Strange movie stuff. Pretty sure nexus is correct. Uh, but this this intersection of Genesis and Isaiah, as well as uh, New Testament gospel ideas, and uh, even Paul's Paul is roped into that part of the discussion as well. Uh, and as we'll see moving forward. Maybe a little bit today, but probably in the last episode of this series, um, in our next episode, uh, even uses language there that that ties into Revelation. So Second uh, Peter 3, love that section. That is my where I go when I discuss this thing, because it kind of serves as a nice little, little blueprint for us. It's got everything. Love it. Uh, so we were there in Peter. When we covered the Gospels several episodes ago, we skipped over John with the intention of coming to John last uh, in his Gospel uh, and then going to Revelation as well. So that's the plan for today uh, is to touch on new creation theology in uh, the Gospel of John. I think we have some pretty good stuff uh, set up here. Before we get into all of that, I want to encourage you to go to thinkingtheologically.org because we have all of our previous episodes, at least in this subject, and we're adding more uh, of our, our previous, this is episode 44, so we've got tons of content up there, uh, or that will be making its way there, uh, as well as some written stuff uh, and some stuff on the way that we think that you will enjoy very much if you like to sit and study and think uh, pretty deeply about Bible things. Uh, we want to encourage you to like us on Facebook as well, uh, so you can be notified when that stuff goes up. That's just Thinking Theologically there on Facebook. You can also message us from there or email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com and get a hold of us with comments, questions, concerns, I guess, and criticisms if you want to. And you can get a hold of Spencer everywhere that words are said online. And he will, he'll be there. He'll hear it. He knows. I will, I will find you. Don't worry. He Googles himself every day. Uh, so if you That's a very strange thing to say, <laughs> but we're going to go with you. it. He will find you digitally uh, and answer your stuff. All right, uh, Spencer, we're, we're jumping into John today, going a bit, I'll say backwards, but John as a gospel, as we've uh, looked at in some of our previous discussions, just entirely different uh, from the other three, uh, from the synoptic gospels. Uh, and so we're not really jumping back. Uh, but covering some stuff that is very unique uh, in John's writing and his style. Uh, and uh, where do you want to start with this giant book of of John's gospel when it comes to new creation theology? Yeah, so you, you, you said it. John's gospel is very different than the mm-hmm, synoptics, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, hopefully at some point maybe we'll, we'll do some... Uh, uh, episodes on the Gospels again and talk about some of that, uh, why it's different, how it's different, stuff like that. But John's very, very different, doing a lot of different things. And uh, you kind of hinted towards Revelation, where we're going next week. There's a whole uh, 
section of Johannine literature, John literature. You've got the Gospel of John. You've got three letters of John. You've got Revelation. Yeah. Uh, so that's another reason that uh, Revelation is where we wanted to to end up because Revelation, more than any other, you know, you get imagery of heaven more so in Revelation than you do anywhere else. Yeah. So it just makes sense to end there. Well, if you're going to end there, then you need to kind of probably take this uh, John tradition as a whole, uh, uh, which is uh, several other things. Yeah, this going is on kind there. of this is kind of our uh, when we stopped and said, let's understand Paul and how he, his worldview was, and then let's get into Paul's letters. We are kind of doing that by looking at. John's gospel, this has given us a little bit of, this is the the mind of John and how he thinks and writes things out. And then we can go into the, you know, the very interestingly written book of Revelation yeah. that is, it is easier to get through when you realize who the author is and how the author thinks and, and all that. Yeah. So the first thing that we have is the, from John, at least, you know, if you're reading, uh, through your Bible, we come to the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John begins, again, very differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, that's obvious off of uh, right out of the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, John's Gospel begins with what's typically called the prologue, which is the first 18 verses, where you kind of have this, this very poetic introduction to the Gospel before John actually gets into telling us the story of Jesus because because a gospel uh we've we've talked about this uh, in previous episodes is an ancient bio it's an ancient biography so it's telling the the story of the the life and the ministry of Jesus uh, but before John gets into that he gives us this little uh prologue that most of us are probably familiar with where we get this language of the word of God And the prologue to John really works kind of like a thesis statement. You know, if you were writing a paper in school or something like that, uh, where you've got this thesis statement that kind of summarizes everything you're going to be doing in the paper. That's kind of the way the first 18 verses of John works. It's the thesis statement. It sets the stage for the rest of the gospel. It's kind of, in many ways, it's the lens of, through which we are meant to view the rest of John's gospel. And the most interesting thing about the prologue uh, to John's gospel is this language of the word of God. It begins, John's gospel begins like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we have this language of the word, which in Greek is the word logos, the the logos, the word of God. Uh, And the word of God here is Jesus. That's who John's referring to. The word is Jesus. But it's just interesting because John's the only one that uses this kind of language in the New Testament. Um, Talking about Jesus in this way as the word of God and Again, ho- hopefully in some future episode, we will be able to dive into that a little more uh, because there's a lot of background to this idea of Jesus as the the word. 
So this idea of the the word of God or the word of the gods or this preexistent word uh, is a term that's used in the Greek philosophy of the first century. You see it in Stoic philosophy. Uh, You see it in Pythagorean philosophy. Uh, You see it in the Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria. Uh, Philo is a very interesting character. He's a Jew that lives in Alexandria, Egypt, but he's very influenced by Greek culture and particularly by Greek philosophy. So what Philo tries to do is he tries to harmonize Greek philosophy with the Jewish scriptures, with our Old Testament. Uh, And so he does a lot of writing trying to, to do this, to use Greek philosophical terms and kind of morphing them into and showing how they fit within a Jewish worldview. And one of the things that Philo does is he uses this idea of the, the word, which in Greek philosophy is kind of this creative force. Um, we could get a lot more into that, but Philo kind of uses this language to speak about God's word in very similar ways. And it's interesting, both Philo and John here use this idea of the word of God uh, in a way that's reminiscent of Hebrew wisdom literature. Hmm. So you go and read the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Psalms, uh, Proverbs uh, in particular, you see this idea of the wisdom of God that almost becomes it like its own being in the Old Testament. Um, the wisdom of God is responsible for creation and a lot of things like that, uh, which is very similar to how Philo speaks of the word of God and how John here in his prologue speaks of the word of God, very reminiscent of this idea of the wisdom of God in the Old Testament. So uh, John's actually drawing on a lot of other traditions in speaking about Jesus as the word. But the thing that we kind of want to focus in on, Jesus as the word or as the wisdom of God, as it relates to new creation, is that in the Old Testament, wisdom had played a role in creation. And here in John 1, speaking about Jesus as the word or as the wisdom of God, John says Jesus, too, played a role in creation. And therefore, Jesus is going to play a role in in this idea of new creation. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a moment. But uh, Jesus playing a role in creation. So John's gospel begins with the phrase, in the beginning, which is a phrase that we've heard before, right? Go back to Genesis 1. In yep. the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from the very beginning, John is bringing the mind of his readers back to Genesis chapter 1. By beginning with this phrase, in the beginning, John is wanting to, for his readers to, our, to be present in Genesis 1, to be present in the creation account as we read what he goes on to say. Specifically, as John goes on to talk about Jesus as playing a role in the creation of the universe. So he says in verse 3, that all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. So everything that exists, everything that was created, was created through Jesus. Um, 
he goes on to say at the end of verse 3 and end of verse 4, what came into being in him was life. Life has a connection to Jesus. And in John's gospel, there's going to be two kinds of life, right? Jesus had a role in creation. So life from the very beginning came into him, but so does new life. Uh, life uh, from free from sin and death also comes through Jesus. So you have these, these two kinds of ideas of life. And John says that the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And I think John here is doing a play on words too, because he's talking about Jesus as creator of everything. Well, when we go back to the creation account, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's the first thing that God creates? He creates light, this light that shines in the darkness. And so John seems to be doing a play on words and saying that, yeah, not only was Jesus present then, at the beginning, when God, through his word, through his words, created all things, specifically created life and light, Jesus now is bringing new life. He is bringing new light into the darkness and the sin and the evil of our world. So you kind of have this comparison of, it's almost like Jesus did this at the beginning and he's done it again. When he's come to earth, he created. Now he's bringing new creation. He brought life. Now he's bringing new life. He brought, he created light. Now he's bringing new light. Um, And then John says in verse 10, the world came into being through him. So all things came into being through Jesus, but now Jesus is doing something different. And the key to the different thing that Jesus is doing in the prologue is found in verse 14 where John says that the word became flesh and lived among us. Uh, the, The word of God that is responsible for creating all things has become a human being, has come and lived among us. And that phrase lived among us is literally the word for tabernacled among us. So we think of the tabernacle that eventually becomes the temple. And we've seen this temple theme throughout what we've read, right? We saw Mm -hmm. it in Isaiah uh, in particular. We saw it when we talked about Genesis, that Genesis 1 is written like the construction of God's temple, that the, the world was meant to be God's temple, God's dwelling place. The problem being uh, the corruption because of sin. And so then we get this temple imagery of God dwelling with his people in the temple, but the hope for the entire created order to be God's temple once again. And so we have this language of temple in saying that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. God pinched his, pitched his tent among us. God set up his temple among us in Jesus because in Jesus we have God literally dwelling with us which is the whole idea of the temple, God dwelling with his people. And Jesus, we have God in human form, dwelling, walking among us. And so from the very beginning, we have all of this creation imagery. Jesus created things. He brings life. He brings light. He has come to tabernacle or to make his temple, his dwelling place among us. All of that is imagery that we've already seen in Genesis 
And it's imagery that we see in different places as we've looked at the language of new creation. When the Old Testament and New Testament authors talk about new creation and bring us back to Genesis, we see this language of creation, of life, of uh, temple. And John gives us all of this in his prologue when he's talking about what Jesus is doing. And so really, I think you could summarize the prologue of John's gospel in this way. I think God's. I think John's saying that God's words created the original heaven and earth, the original light, the original life, the original temple for God that was meant to be the entire uh, created world. God's word created all that, but God has now spoken through Jesus, the Word of God, God Himself, uh, to create new heavens and a new earth to create a new temple of God to recreate the world into what God desired it to be. And that has all come through the word of God in Jesus who came and tabernacled, who came and lived and dwelled among us. And so it's that imagery of Jesus as creator of life of light, of Jesus being God who has come to make his tabernacle, make his temple among us, this creation language. That's the lens, I think, that John wants us to read the rest of Jesus' story, at least as he presents it, to read the rest of the gospel in light of this imagery of Jesus that takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. There is um, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a, a a parallel, not not like a it's not like a perfect rhyme, um, but there is some rhyming going on in there. You know, looking at Second Peter three last week, uh, we went back into Genesis with him, uh, though he his focus was more on yes the creation through water, but then also the flood, uh, and talking about the destruction, the the corruption, then destruction, and then uh, new creation as a result of all of that water. Uh, but he even uses word or the idea of word there of uh, God creating uh, and all of this there. And so there's a little bit of this connection of you had this original temple uh, with uh, God and his people, but corruption uh, causing issue there and uh, God having to uh, recreate this desire to create something new now through Jesus, the the new temple, this tabernacling among us sort of sort of thing. Uh, I only bring that up to say uh, that even with different illustrations or connecting points, uh, there is a lot of overlap between like John and Peter or Peter and Paul or uh, Peter and Isaiah, John and Isaiah, etc, etc. It's just interesting to see all these pieces come together uh, as we go through our uh, our series here. Uh, but John's focused on the temple idea here, uh, and we're we're not done with that idea. In fact, he picks that up in uh, John chapter two. Uh, what do you want to tell us about Jesus and the temple there uh, in in chapter two of John? So, let's just think about what it means for God to be in the temple, or, or the way that the the temple would have worked. So, God's presence was in the holy of holies the most holy place uh, but only the high priest had access to that part of the temple and only 
one time a year. And so it was like God kind of dwelled with his people. I mean, he, he, he did, but only kind of because not everyone had that kind of access to him. But in Jesus, God become a human being. It's not only, yeah, God's dwelling with his people again, like he does in the temple, but it's even more so. It's a greater, more fuller version of God dwelling with his people than you have in the temple. It's really, when you think about this idea of new creation, it's God dwelling with his people very close to what he intended at the beginning. Not quite. We're not quite there yet. But we're a lot closer than we were in the tabernacle and the temple in Jesus. And so John's presenting to us this idea of Jesus as the temple, as the fullness of the temple, as a better temple. Uh, And part of the reason for that is probably because John's the last gospel written. Uh, John uh, is written after, it seems, 70 A.D. And at 70 A.D. is when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed for the final time. Uh, and so you can also begin to imagine there's a, there's a polemic. There's an issue in John's gospel between Jew Jews and Jewish faith and Christians that you don't really see in the synoptics written earlier. And so it seems yeah. like part of what John's doing in writing his gospel is trying to speak into this conflict that has arisen between Judaism and Christianity towards the end of the first century. That wasn't there early on. Um, uh, We think of the first Christians were Jewish Christians. They started following Jesus, but they didn't stop being Jews. And part of that is Judaism is more than a religion. It's, It's an ethnicity. It's a heritage. It's a tradition. And so, especially early on, there wasn't a conflict between the two. I mean, you, you even read in Acts it, about the early Christians continuing to go to the synagogue and things like that. I mean, they, they didn't stop being Jews. They redefined what it meant to be a Jew in light of Jesus. But as time went on, there became this problem between the Jewish leadership and Christians. And it's like, you got to choose. You either leave behind Jesus or you get kicked out of the synagogue. And we see that kind of language in John that we don't see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so it seems like John's kind of speaking into this issue that's coming up. And part of, I think, the way that he's dealing with that is speaking of with the temple destroyed of saying, well, the temple wasn't really destroyed. We have it in Jesus. There's a new temple. There's something new and greater when we're speaking about the presence of God, we don't need the temple any longer. It's fine that it was destroyed because we have something better. And so John's kind of speaking into that with this theme of Jesus as the temple that we see throughout his gospel. And I think the best place that we see it is in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. And in verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up, right? Well, what's he going to raise up? Himself. He's talking about his body, about he's uh, prophesying about his resurrection, but he's talking about his body as the temple. And so that's one of the most obvious places where we see Jesus saying, I am the temple. 
I am the presence of God come to dwell with his people, which again is significant for the reasons that John's dealing with. But it also takes us back, as we see in the prologue, and as we talked about in Genesis, it takes us back to creation. Uh, The first place where we see God's desire to dwell with his creation, the problems with that, then we get the temple, and now we have Jesus coming to dwell again and to solve those problems, uh, to bring God's presence in a new and a greater and a better way. Yeah, and I, I don't really have anything else to add as, as far as temple stuff goes, at least not any more than what you're about to add with uh, all of the language of temple that has been used, uh, especially being connected to the opening creation and the garden and all of this. Uh, brings back into our mind that thought of, uh, and this is one of the articles on thinkingtheologically.org. I'm not sure how much we actually talked about it within a podcast. So if you're not checking out the website, you're missing uh, stuff like that. Uh, The overlap of heaven and earth uh, and this desire to have both of those things be one Uh, And John's gospel hits at all that stuff, too. And part of that is because of this temple language, that that's what he's going for, this uh, God being with uh, the creator, being with his creation, uh, the things above being with the things below, if you want to phrase it that way, uh, this heaven and earth coming together. So, uh, Spencer, just roll right into uh, the uh, distinction of heaven uh, and and earth here and and what uh, God's hoping to do. Uh, here in all of this. So you mentioned that there's an article that I wrote on the overlap of heaven and earth. If you haven't read, I would encourage you to go read that because it will help make even more sense of what John does with his uh, contrast of heaven and earth in his yeah. gospel. And we, we, we've mentioned it briefly, and I'll just kind of briefly uh, in kind of like a sentence kind of summarize the idea of uh, we've talked about how heaven and scripture is used to refer to not some spiritual place that we go when we die, but the place where God is, and earth is the place that we are. And that the intention is for heaven and earth to be the same, for the place where we are to be the place where God is. Sin has caused a problem there, and so now heaven and earth aren't the same, but they do overlap the place where God is and the place where we are. And in the Old Testament, we see that overlap where? In the tabernacle, in the temple, where God dwells. We see the overlap of heaven and earth, of God being with his people, of God being where we are. And so John continues and capitalizes on that temple imagery that we've already talked about with this distinction between... uh, things of heaven and things of the world or things of of earth. Uh, One of the things that we see Jesus do over and over and over again, and in the the notes that will be posted uh, with this episode, I list just a few of the uh, more prominent places where Jesus does this, but it's all throughout the gospel. Uh, Jesus speaks about his teaching being from heaven. and the idea is, is that Jesus over and over makes this idea of he has come from heaven. He has been with God. The th- and so the things that he's teaching and saying he's received from God himself when he was with heaven with God. 
And so you have this idea that Jesus is saying, my teaching is not from human beings. It's not from the earth. It's not from this place, but it's from God himself because I was from heaven. And so that's where my teaching is from. So again, you have this idea of Jesus is God's presence, a God tabernacling with us. And so because of that, what Jesus is teaching is from heaven. It's from God. And that we see that over and over and over in John's gospel, which is a John showing us and validating for us the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God. And so what he teaches is also from God. That, that's a key theme in John's gospel. Um, we also see this in one of the famous phrases in John 18, 36, where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is from heaven. And that doesn't mean that heaven, that eternal life is non-physical, that it's not going to be on this earth or on a renewed earth or something like that. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's the same idea as his teaching. He's saying my kingdom, my power and authority, my teaching, my way of doing things is not a human way, but it's from God himself. It's an idea of it works different, right? Human kingdoms are built upon power and force and violence. Jesus' kingdom is built upon peace. It's built upon giving up your life for the sake of others. It works very differently. It's not saying that it's not physical. It's saying it doesn't work like earthly, human, sinful, broken kingdoms. Yeah, It has its origin someplace different. It has its origin in heaven. That is to say, it has its origin in God. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus was God, he was with God, as it begins. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? Jesus was with God, Jesus is God, and so when he comes to earth, the things that he teaches are the words of God. The kingdom that he establishes is not a human kingdom, it is God's kingdom. And that's what John's trying to do, is to show us Jesus is God, bringing about kingdom, bringing about teaching, bringing about new creation, bringing about the um, presence of God among human beings. Yeah, there's um, this uh, Old Testament idea as well about uh, how the, the nation of God or the kingdom of God is different from all of the other nations or kingdoms uh, of the earth. And that's a big struggle between, I mean, that, that is part of uh, maybe if not the thing that gets Israel into a lot of trouble is, you know, when they start asking for Kings or when they start um, uh, trying to mirror what they see within the nations around them, you have God repeatedly through his laws and through his, uh, direct interactions with them and uh, in some of their losses and other things like that, letting them know, no, you're supposed to be, this kingdom is completely different from all these other kingdoms uh, that exist here. We do things differently. Uh, that idea that Spencer was bringing up here of, yeah, Jesus's kingdom, it's, it's we, we do things differently here uh, and we're showing people uh, what it's like to be within God's presence, uh, which is what takes us ultimately into this last piece. Uh, and I think you mentioned this earlier on. I've also had lots of conversations with this about others, so I might be confusing these things. Um, 
but we've uh, I think throughout various episodes we've talked about uh, we're not here and then there, but that there is this uh, there's this very present reality of uh, being in God's presence now, and that's that's the point. We either want to be in God's presence or we don't. That's that's the hope, uh, and uh, that idea is very much carried into. Uh, a passage that for a lot of people is pretty well known, at least in phrase, uh, but maybe we miss some things because we don't have a Jewish background. Uh, and that is uh, this section in John 14 of going to prepare a place. Uh, Spencer, what do you want to tell us about uh, Jesus going to prepare a place? So when we think about new creation, I, I think one of the texts that troubles a lot of people is this one in John 14 about Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, Because the idea of Jesus going to prepare a place is that the place is somewhere else and he's gone to prepare it so that we can then go there. And that's influenced the way that we think about heaven as escaping this world, going to someplace better. Um, The first thing that I want to say is that it, when we're thinking theologically, it's quite problematic to build a whole theology of heaven on one passage and one passage only. Because kind of as we've shown, heaven's never talked about of us escaping and going, but always it coming to us. And it seems like John 14 would be an exception. I I think we're going to go on to show that I don't think that it is an exception. I think it's saying the same thing uh, if we're in tune with what John's trying to do here. Uh, but also it's a good practice to realize, well, hey, if all these other passages talk about heaven coming here and this one, one passage seems to be going somewhere else, I'm not going to build my whole theology on this one passage and kind of disregard everything else. Um, I'm going to take the plethora of information that talks about heaven coming here and i'm going to use that to interpret john 14 i think that's a healthier way to go about biblical interpretation Uh, but we tend to and it's normally to support things that we already believe unfortunately we tend to want to take one passage and use it to reinterpret all these other ones when in reality it should probably work the other way Um, But the interesting thing here about John 14 and Jesus speaking about going to prepare a place for us is that Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for his followers. But it's important to realize that Jesus never says where this place is ultimately going to be located. Right. Just because Jesus goes to prepare something doesn't mean that it's not going to come back here. We'll mention this in a minute in another work of John, uh, Revelation. John talks about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. Um, So that's important to realize. Just because he's going to prepare a place doesn't mean, uh, uh, doesn't determine for us where that place is ultimately going to be located. But the interesting thing to me is that when we read this, The place is referred to by Jesus as my father's house in verse 2. Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to 
prepare a place for you. So the place, it's the idea of Jesus is going to get a room ready for us in his father's house so that we can come and live with him in his father's house. That's the imagery that Jesus is using here. But the question that I want to ask is what would a Jew reading this think of when they hear the phrase God's house? They would think of the temple. I find it very hard to believe that a Jew would not hear God's house and think of the temple because the temple for a Jew is God's house. God's house was the temple. Right. And so I I find it hard to believe that John's not doing the temple thing again because he's doing it everywhere else in his gospel. Why not here? Not to mention, like I said, that's probably where a Jew's mind's going to go. God's house. Well, God's house is the temple. God's dwelling place is his house. It is the temple. So again, who is John presenting as the new or the living temple of God? Jesus is the temple of God. And so Jesus says in verse 3, that when he returns, his people will be taken in to him and be with him forever. Why? Because Jesus is the Father's house. Jesus is God's temple because Jesus is the presence of God. And so Jesus says, when I return, you will be brought into me. You will be a part of me because you will be dwelling in the presence of God forever. So we even have the idea of heaven coming to earth because Jesus says, when I come again, when I come back to earth, you will be brought into me because Jesus is the temple. You could almost say Jesus is the place that Jesus is preparing for us. Hmm. Uh, That that almost seems to be what Jesus is saying. Uh, He says again in verse six uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that Jesus is the way to God. Why? Why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is the uh, dwelling place of God. Jesus is the temple of God. So in essence, he's saying, you want to be a part of my father's house? You want to be in the presence of God? Well, you do that through me because I am God. I am the dwelling place of God. You want to be with God? Be with me. It's not so much an idea of an actual place, but being in the presence of God, specifically being with Jesus. And so again, when we think about what has Jesus come to bring? Well, he's come to bring new creation. Part of that is to make the world God's temple once again. Jesus is going to return. God's going to return to dwell with his creation like he intended at the very beginning. And we gain access to that new creation through Jesus, the temple or the tabernacle of God. And this next part will set the stage for what we're going to do in the next episode in Revelation. Where was the temple located? The temple was located in Jerusalem. And so when you speak about Jerusalem, you speak about the city or the dwelling place of God. In Revelation 21, another work by John, John speaks of a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. So in Revelation 21, we see this theme of temple that we've seen as Jesus being the temple, this overlap of heaven and earth, this Jesus going to prepare a place for us. It's all temple language. And John's going to tell us in Revelation 21 that this temple, this new Jerusalem, 
is going to come down from heaven to earth and that God will be forever with his people. And that's kind of where we'll be going uh, with John in the next episode. Yeah, the only thing I'll add before we close is uh, it's not even just John's stuff here, uh, though John obviously being author of both is where we should begin. Um, but even some of that temple language is going to bring to the, the Jewish reader, oh, uh, Isaiah, oh, uh, Ezekiel, uh, these ideas that they've been given within the Old Testament about temple and the new thing that God will be doing uh, with this new temple and the city of God and all of this. Uh, and we'll see a lot of that uh, as we get into the next episode. So we're, we're going to wrap that up uh, next episode in Revelation. And uh, we have plans for what comes next. But uh, if you have questions on some of these things that we've discussed, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we can even do a be happy to do a Q&A, or if there's only a couple, you know, maybe we'll uh, turn those into articles that we answer or, or something like that. So uh, please send those to us uh, on Facebook or, or at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, again, I want to encourage you to check out thinkingtheologically.org for these episodes, as well as uh, written stuff that uh, bolsters this information, allows you to go a little deeper on uh, specific parts here. Uh, and like us on Facebook so you can be notified when all of those things go up. Uh, this has been our episode today. I'm Jack, that's Spencer, and we look forward to seeing you next time.